Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. We're back after a long sabbatical. Uh, things starting to kind of get normalized as we inch closer towards the start of college football. And I'm joined today by uh, Jackets Online recruiting writer Russell Johnson, who's going to we're going to kind of go through where Georgia Tech stands, what they need, uh, where things are at. At 19 commits as of uh, July the 5th, this Friday. Um, of course, a couple of them, like Eddie Watkins, you know, may not be the most solid commit in the world, but uh, Russell's kind of tracking those guys down these days to see where everyone's at. And kind of what are your thoughts right now, Russell, kind of where the class stands? I think that, uh, you know, they're off to a, a pretty good start. I mean, being in the top 20 going into the month of July and, and into the month of July is, is always an accomplishment no matter what program you are, especially with a, a first-year coach and an entire new staff. And really, you know, everything different um, from the offense to the defense and, and just the way they've been able to, you know, build the core. Uh, they've, they've, they've started in-state and really gotten to Florida, gotten to Alabama, they even dipped into Louisiana for a DB. So I, I think they're off to a good start. I think that, you know, they have a very solid foundation for this class. It seems like sort of the linchpin of all of this has been Tucker Gleason, uh, who we both got a chance to watch at the 7-on-7 uh, seven seven they had at Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago. Can you kind of just talk about Tucker and kind of his impact on this class and kind of what your thoughts were after watching him? Yeah, so, so you, you actually had just mentioned that uh, they, they just added number 19, and, and number 19 was uh, Michael Rankins, of course, and and Rankins had just – he just met uh, Tucker in passing, and, and he was just – you know, Tucker was all about Georgia Tech, and, and he was just beaming so much about Georgia Tech, to, like even just to people around Michael, not necessarily Michael, that it resonated with Michael, and, and I think that Tucker's been able to do that on the recruiting trail since joining the, the commitment list. Uh, you know, he's still really hard after Bryce Gowdy, and he's still – he's going to be a, the, basically the, the primary recruiter for anybody on the offensive side of the ball for the rest of 2020. And then once he gets up to campus, you know, that'll that'll kind of switch into a, a different role. Has there been a guy on the defensive side that's been like that? It seems like um... – Miles Brooks kind of recruits the guys he knows from Florida, but it seems like maybe Tyson or one of those guys or uh, Wiggles are maybe more in that kind of mold on the defensive side. I know it's a little different, but yeah. I imagine there's some guys doing some recruiting on that side as well. Oh, yeah, I would I would definitely say Wiggles. Um, anybody in the city of Atlanta, around Atlanta, in Georgia, uh, Wiggles was at the five-star challenge. He was recruiting there, recruiting Javon, recruiting Josh, recruiting – Bryce, recruiting everybody, really. Um, and then I think kind of as the season gets near and as things start to pick up and, you know, these kids are around talented athletes instead of just, you know, being around their friends and during the dead period, um, I think that's when you'll see Tyson kind of, you know, start to step up. Um, I haven't really got a chance to, to see if he's got any visits lined up anywhere else yet. But with, with Tyson, you know, he, he's at Creekside. Creekside's a pretty talented school in itself. And, and just being around those guys and, and being a recruiter for that. And then you mentioned briefly Miles Brooks. And, and yeah, I would definitely say Miles Brooks. But then the, the other thing, that the first thing that came to mind was actually Miles' dad on social media. Um, he's become quite the recruiter, quite the advocate, uh, you know, loves everything about Georgia Tech. And, and it, it's interesting to see because, 
you know, with such a, a high profile recruit who at one point was in the Rebel 100, it's not normal for the, the parent to be so outspoken about the school he's committed to. They're normally all about enjoying the process, taking visits, and, and kind of getting the most out of everything. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting to see that whole thing kind of unfold. Um, you know, you kind of look at the on the what's interesting with Miles is literally one of his teammates is one of the top targets as well, Jaquez Robinson, who came in camp and Bam is holding on to him. They want him. Um, actually, it's funny because from in in some ways, as you look at it, he may be a better fit for Georgia Tech than than even Miles in terms of academics, but. It's just been kind of interesting to see kind of how that works, you know, how much of an impact a, a guy like Miles can have. Jacksonville has been a very hot recruiting spot for Georgia Tech uh, throughout the years, and it kind of softened uh, the last couple of years. They had a coach who wasn't as good at recruiting that area down there um, for the last few cycles. And, uh, you know, that's an area where they definitely need to uh, step it up. I think getting Tuck, Tucker from from Plant, the Tampa area, getting back into Tampa, you know, Michael Rankins is from that same Gulf Coast area as well. Those are big pickups for Georgia Tech. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how they kind of use the map here, right? Because they're recruiting Texas for the first time, really, um, since God knows when. Um, Louisiana's always been a hot spot. They got Nick Turner from there, who's still getting offers all the time, got offered by Arkansas the other day. And then they have you know, basically their their whole core area, which is the Atlanta metro, North Georgia, and then into Alabama, which has been a strong recruiting area for Georgia Tech for the last few years as well. Uh, and that that's kind of where they seem to be focused right now in terms of uh, local recruiting. You have, you know, a kid from Dalton, which is in North Georgia. You got kids from Gwinnett and uh, Loganville and, you know, all over the place, all the way down to South Georgia. So, um it's been interesting to kind of see how this class has been pieced together. Uh, the one sort of outlier is uh, Kaya Wright from Miami, who was kind of a surprise to all of us when he committed. Can you kind of talk about Kaya a little bit? That's when that kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Yeah, well, it, it flew under the radar quite a bit because, you know, Kaya wasn't very public about his recruitment, didn't talk to very many people. Uh, it seemed like the, the person most in touch with his recruitment was actually his coach. It, it wasn't, you know, any of, of our recruiting analysts. It wasn't any recruiting analyst that I could even see anywhere. Um, with with Kaya, um, like I said, he he didn't camp either. I think he camped at the the rivals camp in 2018, maybe. Yeah. But um, other than that, he, he had really flown under the radar because he he just had these offers, and you know, he probably went on visits. He did go on visits, and he he narrowed his process down and. And he did something that's very hard to do in, in today's age. I mean, you're even seeing it now with in, in basketball with Kawhi Leonard trying to stay under the radar with everything going on. And, and Wright did an excellent job doing that. And then, you know, he kind of decided Georgia Tech was going to be the, the place for him, and, and he, he went public with that. Um, his, his coach was complimentary of him, talked about, you know, his ability as a pass rusher and, and just his upside overall. And I think that is what um, – that's what gets – Georgia Tech's coach is excited, if I had to guess, was his upside, his ability to get to the quarterback, and, and his just, just his size overall. Because when you're when you're 6'3", and 200 pounds, give or take, uh, you know, you can either transition into uh, you know, a stand-up pass rusher, which is what he's going to start out as, or he could end up putting his hand in the dirt and, and 
getting it, getting to him like that. So we'll see what happens with his body between now and the end of his senior year. Um, but but for Wright, I think that was a that was an interesting take. But I think that was more so of of him doing you know zero dark thirty in terms of his recruitment than it was anything else. Yeah, it's been interesting as the flurry of defensive end and long and lean guys like Kaya. You have Eddie Watkins, who's uh, what we would call soft, maybe flaccid commit. Um, and then uh, Kyle Kinnard and Akilah Stone and Jakari Wiggles, who are all sort of different types of defensive ends. And then you have guys like Jared Ivey and Andy Boykin, who they just offered and got in on the full Robert commit. Um who's going to visit Tech again, uh, apparently, in the fall for a game. And, you know, we got to see Ivy, who's just a gigantic human being. So it's been kind of interesting to see this. They had uh, – Lewis was on campus. Um, they just had all kinds of guys around. And so it's been kind of interesting to see how 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 wide they're casting this defensive end at. Oh, for sure. And I think that – it's not as much of something that they see as like a drastic need on the roster as it is as trying to find people that fit the scheme and are, are willing to do one or the other. Like it's an and or it's an or thing, not or it's an and thing, not an or thing with these type of, you know, takes that they've got, uh, you know, you can do both. You know, you can rush the passer and you can drop back in coverage if you need to. And, you know, a lot of kids, especially in high school, what happens is, is, you you prefer to do one or the other, and and all those names you mentioned, um, the only one I can think of that I I don't know if I would see in coverage would be a kilo, but um, the other ones I you could definitely see them if they need to they could drop and drop back into coverage, and if, if they can stop the run and the complete packages and the, the versatility, and I think the versatility is what stands out among that the entire defensive class so far. You know, it's funny, like a guy like Akilah Stone or even maybe even Wiggles could end up being a three technique eventually and playing D-tackle. Like, you know, one of the questions we get asked all the time is about the defensive tackle recruiting, but they like some of the, the guys they got. And then they have, you know, Lockhart and some guys they've signed that they like as well. And it'll be interesting to see where those pieces fit together long-term and how they project these body types too. Because, you know, you look at, say, Jared Ivey, for example, is, a gigantic human being with long arms and you don't know what his body's going to do when you put him in a strength and conditioning program where he's focused on football because he plays basketball, for example. Right. And, you know, Kyra writes like a kid. All right. The example I always talk about with kids from Florida, is it's just a different animal than what you have. And in Atlanta, you have kids, they're usually have a decent strength and conditioning background and they have pretty good access to food. In Florida, it's a little bit different. They're just the kids are so lean because it's so hot and humid, and they don't necessarily have the same kind of um, facilities or ability to get the food, nutrition stuff that they need to put weight on in high school. I, I joke about this all the time, but having covered uh, Florida and South Florida recruiting, you'll run into you know a wide receiver who's six foot five and one hundred and sixty pounds, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah. Lord, it just looks like a giant stick. But once he's in a college program, he, he's 200 pounds in, within two years and looks like an NFL wide receiver. And that's where you see him. Kyra Wright's a super thin guy. Like, um, it'll be interesting to see where where some of these, you know, guys end up 
developing their bodies, where they end up playing, if they end up playing on other sides of the ball. There's a lot of different kind of uh, pieces to all that. And that gets me to something else I wanted to talk about, which is you look at the offensive line recruiting, which is the other area where they have massive numbers right now with five commits, probably going to six. You've got three sure offensive tackles, um, Wayne Green, Michael Rankins, and Jordan Williams, who I think people are sleeping on Jordan Williams still. And uh, Wayne Green, probably more of a project guy out of that group because he's just not been playing football that long. But just giant long human beings, and that's something they lacked. That was one of the one of the things along with tight ends that they lacked in the transition from going from the, the option offense to a spread is you needed long-armed offensive tackles. They got that now. You have Cade uh, Kusaritis, who's like a center – or tackle, depending on how tall he gets. That's basically what Brent Keyes told him. And then you have one guard in Trent Howard because, really, there's not a heavy need for guards in this class. And they can still take, uh, you know, one more guy. You uh, have written about uh, Devin Wilcock, Willock, um, Kid Paula from Texas, and uh, James Robinson, right? Those are the yeah. kind of three guys right now. And James is a guard, but the other two are offensive tackles, I would think. Yeah, I would definitely say that, that James is a guard. Um, I would say Paula, likely going to be on the interior as well, but the, it depends. He's right on the edge. He's in that yeah. tweener land at 6'4", 300. Right. Tweener land is a very good way to put his his body type. Um, and then and then you said Willick. Willick's definitely a, a tackle. Yeah, for sure. It's, and he's 6'7", so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and his deal, his deal was interesting because you know we, we we've been talking, goodness, nearly every day, and and his recruitment seemed to be getting different every day because for the longest before Georgia Tech and Penn State offered him, he was going to commit on July fifth, today, and it was going to be Rutgers, like that was signed, sealed, delivered, everybody knew it, it wasn't a secret. These two schools come into the picture. And he's like, man, you know what? I really think I might need to push it back. And he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna commit, and it's gonna, I'm gonna do it on the fifth. And then he he got to thinking about it, and he's like, you know, I've never been to either one of these places, and I would look stupid if I committed to one of those places without visiting. And so now he's actually yesterday he made it public that he was gonna push his decision back and and take some visits, but I still expect him to have a commitment to a school before his senior season starts. You know, what's funny about his recruitment, too, is UGA got in on him back in, like, March yeah. or, or April, and he visited there unofficially and, like, did the whole thing, and then they sort of fell off for whatever reason. And he's had, he's visited a lot of schools. He's been to Virginia, Miami, Temple, Rutgers, um, Boston College. Like, it, it's been interesting to kind of see his, his whole recruitment kind of unfold and He's an interesting guy. He's probably a little bit underrated too, as well. Um, kind of looking at uh, the class so far and targets. Um, really, as we kind of look at this whole class right now, the sort of missing pieces are a true defensive tackle. Jason Jones is sort of the top guy there, I would say, um, that they would like yeah. to get. His recruitment remains bizarre. Uh, he's technically committed to Alabama, but. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure the Alabama coaches feel the same way about it. And then 
he took he took an official visit, I think, to Mississippi State or something like that, and he took an official to Georgia Tech, and he has an official set for Florida. Who they probably Florida and Georgia Tech, I would say, right now are probably the two main players from when you say. Yeah, I would definitely say that, and I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to keep that um, Alabama commitment in his bio on Twitter. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, Coach Saban has a tendency to to make that disappear when he wants to. Um, and, you know, and outside of that, there's a bunch of kind of known guys, uh, Braden Swinson, who's very enamored with North Carolina right now. Um, also likes Wake Forest. I get a little bit of a vibe from him that he'd like to get out of town. Um, but he's also in that hybrid land. He could be a defensive end. Uh, Marquise Black uh, is another guy who really just is – kind of been radio silent. Um, yeah, you want to talk about Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> you look that up in the books, you, know, you see a picture of him right now. We took that official to Arizona, and that was like nothing's been seen or heard from him since. It's, it's been kind of weird with him. And um, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the kid from Fairfield. Um, Reginald Perry. Yeah. And, I, again, another guy who's not a talker. So um, we no, kind of don't, don't know what Definitely a take, but not a talker. Yeah, and he's another guy. He's long, um, could play defensive end, could probably a defensive tackle when you get him in to a strength and conditioning program. Tall kid, six foot five. So yeah, uh, it'll be. I'm kind of curious to see what um, what they do with the the person, what they're looking for personnel wise, because you have a defensive end, outside linebacker, coach, and Marco Coleman, and they're playing basically with the strong side end, and they hybrid rush end outside on the other side. So that's where you get into the Eddie Watkins kind of guys. And Aquilo and Wiggles are more of that strong side and traditional defensive end. Yes. And then you have Larry Knight coaching the inside guys and what he's looking for, uh, a guy who played that position and understands it pretty well, but is coaching it for the first time in a while. And, you know, they're kind of getting their bearings here. They have, kind of different groups of personnel are they going to move guys who are currently on the roster around all of that stuff still kind of i think up in the air and it'll be interesting to see if any more guys move in the fall when when georgia tech opens camp up and they have some more numbers i mean they played this spring with four linebackers on scholarship so that kind of gives you an idea of how kind of weird as they moved guys around and tried to get the position groups that they wanted it kind of changed the dynamics of things a little bit and I'm curious kind of that there'll be some trickle down from all of that in terms of recruiting too, because like people are obsessed today with wide receivers, right? The truth of the matter is they need three, four wide receivers in this class. They have Ryan King, who's a big outside receiver. They're in good shape with Bryce Gowdy and they're still working on a couple other outside receiver types. And then slot guys you have, Mr. Baker, who I don't think is a great fit. You have Jacob Freeman, who we're both kind of surprised hasn't committed yet, and Josh Downs, um, who remains heavily flirting with Georgia Tech all the time. But I think he's in that boat. Like a lot of the the offensive guys who are waiting around now, I think a lot of them are waiting to see what the offense really looks like against other teams. I think that um, that's the big question I hear. You know, and I was at the five stars around a lot of kids. We were around a lot of guys at uh, recent camps and stuff. And I think that's the big question. You know, defense is defense, right? 
you can visualize what a defensive scheme is kind of regardless of what you see if you just watch practice or whatever. But offense is so much different because what they do in practice can really not necessarily carry over into what's effective in a game. And so I think there's still a lot of questions on that end and, and what the offense is truly going to look like. Well, definitely. I think you, you kind of echoed the, the sentiments that all of the remaining targets on the offensive side of the ball. I know Davion Capers uh, committed to, to Auburn earlier this week. I know he's somebody who is genuinely curious and will be at games as long as Gus Malzahn lets him, of course, um, <laughs> during the season. And, you know, getting into Denmark, I mean, his quarterback for next year's class, Aaron McLaughlin, he's, he's intrigued by the offense as well. So, really, I mean, the next step for the program, other than showcasing the, the offense and, and showing the improvement on defense, is is getting these kids to visit on game day. You know, it's, it's one thing to get them to, to come up when there's nothing else going on, when other schools aren't have hosting junior days, when other schools aren't doing anything. Like, the big thing they had on Martin Luther King Day, that was really good for recruiting. But now come in about, I don't know how many weeks we are away, but – um, the season's coming, and, and getting these kids, when other schools are trying to get them on campus for visits, getting them to take the 20-minute the drive instead of the you know three-hour drive or something like that, getting them to do that on a consistent basis is, is really going to be the next step. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to be kind of – you know, fans ask what they can do in recruiting. And the one thing I always tell people, and I've said this from the first day I've covered – anything related to recruiting with any school is show up, like come, yeah. come to games, show up, sit in your seat, cheer hard for whoever's on the field. Even if you hate the coach, cheer for the players, like the thing that kills, that kills you in recruiting. And I, you know, I literally wrote a story about Josh Downs today and he talked about his big concern is the level of support at North Carolina for the football program. Right. And they draw somewhat similarly to Georgia Tech, a little bit less, um, probably overall. But that's things that these kids look at. He's looking at Penn State, he's looking at Georgia Tech, and he's looking at um, North Carolina. Guess which one of those three schools fills their stadium every week? It's Penn State. Yep. And when you go into that environment, I can tell you, I've stood on the field in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Death Valley, a toy full stadium. I've been on the field at Clemson in the full stadium. It makes a huge difference to these kids when they see that and the crowd going nuts. And it's like why a night game at Georgia Tech is special. It's kind of an electric thing when the stadium's full, filled, especially like a Thursday night game. Those atmospheres do huge wonders for your recruitment. So if you want to know what helps your, your team and what you can do that's not illegal – help your team it's put your butt in the seat and support the fans and six times a year or seven times a year like you can figure that out with your schedule baseball i figured out i'm a dad i have to go to games i don't have an option to to not go and you work that stuff out with your family you figure it out you work your schedule around it and you go like there's not an excuse not to go if you're a true fan of a program and if you care enough to follow recruiting, you sure as hell should be sitting in the stadium. That's the thing that amazes me is like the people who are on the message boards and who are into this that don't go to games. And it's like, my goodness, like, why would you not go to the games? It's like the the best part of it. It's like not, um, you know, having 
having a great meal and then looking at the dessert and being like, yeah, I'm good. You know, like you, you want that. That's your dessert. That's the, the fun of it is seeing the games because you never know what's going to happen, right? Strange things happen all the time. And that's why you play football or basketball or baseball. Like any day something weird can happen. And that's the, the beauty of covering something like this. You have a game like the god-awful 2015 season that Georgia Tech played where they were just completely – decimated by injuries and they beat Florida state on national TV um, at night and on a blocked field goal attempt, you know, like those are the moments you live for. And it sucks if you weren't there for that. Cause that was a great moment. It was something, you know, I've covered 200 something football games probably in my career already. And I'd never seen anything like that. That's the magic of going to that or like, uh, you know, going and experiencing a game like, say, Georgia Tech's playing Temple this year. Go. Go to Temple. When else are you going to ever go see a game in Philadelphia? You can go maybe check out a Phillies game or something while you're there. Like, those are the things that are fun. And if you're into this enough to where you're spending 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks a year on a subscription, like, spend a little bit more. Go take a little trip. Like, check it out. You know, like, that's the thing I don't get when people don't show up and don't show the support and and are kind of like, well, you know, parking's hard and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it is. It's hard. But if you care about something, you make it important, you figure out a way to fit it into your schedule and you go. Like, and, you know, I'll get off my little soapbox now, but I'm sure Jeff Collins will be the first person to echo what I just said. Like, he wants people to show up. That's going to be the big thing that tech fans can do to make a difference. They want to see improved recruiting. That's the thing that's going to turn, you know, Josh Downs head if the stadium's full when he goes and they're playing Duke or something like, you know, well, actually they don't play Duke here, but if they play a game like that here and the stadium's full, that's going to make a difference to that kid. And it might get you one or two more kids that could be the difference between winning, you know, two games and, and winning 10. Like, you're sometimes one player at a position away from, from making a huge difference. You know, Georgia Tech had a bad year last year because they lost uh, Lucas Johnson in the preseason with an injury, like just weird depth things, like strange things like that can make a huge difference um, long-term into your program's health. And so, you know, I'm very adamant that you should go check it out. Even if you're not sure, even if you're not expecting anything, go, go to the game, see what it's like, sport, go put it. You can always leave early. Like, you're not enjoying yourself or it's too hot or whatever, whatever excuse people have, like, just go, go check out the game. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that that is, uh, that's not, that's the, the next step that the fans could take and the, the city of Atlanta can take is to show up and kind of support the movement. You know, they, they want to talk about for, for the culture, but it's one thing to, to say that and to, you know, put that hashtag on the field, but it's another thing to actually have, the city of Atlanta surrounding you in the stands. Yeah. And that's what makes things special, right? Like when you're, you know, and people talk about Atlanta sports fans and there's a lot of sort of truisms to all of that, but it's like, show up, go support the team when they're good. Like, and when they're bad, that's the thing that's driven me nuts probably the most about covering Georgia Tech is the fans, a, a segment of the fans don't show up if they don't think the team's, that good and it's obnoxious because like you got to support your team either way you get six opportunities or seven opportunities a year to to watch this like 
you wait all year for it. And they're like, oh, I'll watch it at home because I have air conditioning and chicken wings and whatever. And it's like, go again. Like, have a good time. Like, it is a, an event. Go cheer loud. Make make a difference. It makes a difference having the 12th man, as they call it, some places. Like, having people make noise makes a difference. It helps your team. It is a literally something you can measure. Like, it makes a difference. And makes a difference in recruiting and it trickles down to the whole program. It gives you more financial abilities for a program that's not flush with cash like Georgia Tech. Like those, you know, thousand, two thousand people, that makes a huge difference over the course of a season. So I you know, that's the big thing that I'm looking to see this year with Jeff. Can he energize and get those people that have been sort of wishy washy the last few years, get them into the stand, get stadium full have a little bit of environment that really has only happened in the last few years with night games. And can you get that all the time? Cause you're going to play South Florida week two and they're going to be a tough out. They have a, a better offense than they had a year ago. So like you better come ready to play or you're going to get, you know, a lot of hurt. As I told somebody recently, I've talked about it, the message boards extensively and talked to even some of the tech staff about it. You look at the schedule. There's two games where Georgia Tech clearly is a massive disadvantage. It'll be when they play at Clemson and playing Georgia and Atlanta. Every other game except for the Citadel is a toss-up, basically. Like, if they play well, they have a chance to win. If they don't, they're going to lose. Like, it doesn't matter if you're talking about Temple or South Florida or Pitt or Duke or North Carolina or Miami or whatever. Like. So they have a chance to be a special team if they can catch breaks and have a good season. If not, then, you know, trying to get to a bowl game should be a realistic expectation. People ask me what to expect. I say it's eight. It's between, you know, five wins and eight wins. Like, and it's going to fall somewhere in there probably. And eight wins probably wins you the Coastal. And five wins maybe sends you to a toilet bowl on APR or something. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. So, anyways, let's kind of wrapping things up here with the recruiting. Um, if you look at kind of what the needs are left, kind of what stands out to you, like out of the remaining targets, things that you that Georgia Tech needs to do to to kind of finish this class strong and actually have a chance to stay in that top twenty kind of range. I think that you know landing a, another potential lockdown cornerback similar to Miles Brooks. Um, that's that's up there. Um, getting another linebacker, obviously, you know, Jay Bryant, Sather, Rodney Groves, those type of one of getting getting one of those two. Um, preferably, Jay would be the the, the number one preference um, from a, from like a, a fit standpoint, both on the field and off the field. I've talked to Jay. You've talked to Jay. I mean, he's an impressive kid all the way around. And you know, adding someone like him to the linebacker class is would be a big win. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, I don't really think, I mean, they don't need another quarterback. Um, I think they'd take another running back, but it would have to be somebody pretty pretty darn good. Yeah, I don't think they would take, I mean, they'd take Marvin Scott probably, but I, yes. the other guys are offered and, and uncommitted right now, uh, like your boy uh, from Carrollton. <laughs> Mikos. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see them taking a kid like that. Um, I think they would take a star kid. If there's a Demias Griffin kind of kid floating around in December, or it would, even better probably for them would be February. Right. Um, you know, say uh, Gus gets fired at Auburn, and I haven't looked to see who Auburn has committed at running back, but, you know, whoever that is, right? If that kid's a four-star kid and he's floating around and he got a spot and he's a big back, because really that's what they want too. That's the other thing they don't need. Actually, Auburn doesn't have a running back commit right now, but no, I, what, I, but whatever, I, I, you know. Yeah, I would I would go with you know you want to go hypotheticals. I mean, say Joe Moorhead is in that Mississippi State next year, and you know, you've got Jaquavius Mark sitting there looking sure. for a spot. Yeah, no, I mean that's what makes sense there. To me, the chance for the you want to know what will get them in the top twenty-five is. They need to land uh, Bryce Gowdy and, you know, Javon Baker or freaking Josh Downs or some other big-time receiver. Like, that's where they're going to get the star power because they need a couple of guys that are rival 250 players. That's going to be the key to get yourself in that mix. Whether, you know, you could get it – defensively it's going to be a little tougher because really the only sort of four-star guys left are – corners um because yeah i think what andy boykin's a four star but he's out of the 250 so that doesn't help you as much right. and then really the only other one's jason jones um but you know like jaquez is in there um is javier morton yeah javier morton's still in the 250 they could maybe you know get something there uh, i don't think they'll get malachi more but <clears throat> there's guys out there to get right so uh, it'll be interesting to see what, wh- how they, if they can get those sort of, you have the, basically the filling of your class, the bulk of your class, right? So now they just need those kind of special pieces. Like it's like in the NBA, you can build your roster through the draft, right? And, but you still need to land a couple of big free agents. You need what they say three it's the big three right you need yeah. a big three and and right now they have one and miles brooks so you need two more big time kids to, to commit that are in that 250 class that's going to be what gets you over the hump because a couple of the positions where you would normally have that star power they don't really ha- they're not going db heavy so that's that hurts them because that's traditionally been where, where Georgia Tech has picked up their four-star and rivals 250 kids. And there's not really any targets left at defensive end or linebacker that fit in that role either since they've missed out on uh, Steiner. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you know, you could see some of the remaining targets go up in the rankings between now and Tony, of course, but. The way but it's going to be hard to jump from from a five seven into the two fifty. That's a that's a pretty big. Like if you're Ryan King, that's gonna that would be hard to do, given what his opportunities are going to be. Like say in his offense, or if you're oh, um, don't get me started on a great offense. <laughs> or if you're Michael Rankins and you're in Ruskin, Florida, our chances of someone seeing you in person, or unless it's you or me, is pretty low to get you bumped right. up. Yeah, and um. You know, if you look around the rest of the class, uh, maybe one of the Creekside kids has a chance, you know. Maybe uh, Jalen Huff moves back up to where he was. Jalen Huff got killed because he had a bad performance at a camp in front of uh, Mike Farrell. I think that's 
has sort of uh, has doomed his efforts to get back into the 250 where he was a long time ago. Um, what camp was that? I'm not sure what it was. It's like a future 50 or something like that. Okay, yeah, that number future 50. Yeah. And he got torched apparently that day, and that's what sent him down in the rankings. Like, um, and you know those things are tough, and that he was apparently just uh, um, holding on for dear life in that one. Like, he did not. That was not a. That's not his game. Like. I love Jalen yeah. Huff. I think he's a great player, but I don't know that his game is the the seven on seven corner deal. No, I but, think his is you put pads on and you line up a a receiver in front of him, and you got to get by him, and you have to to beat him off of a route. Exactly, and so you know that hurt him a little bit. But he's at a school where he'll have a chance to to show his. He might have a chance in the playoffs. Say, yeah, show himself. That's where this, the whole thing's weird because ultimately it is about part of this is part of the process is getting in front of people. That's why I always tell kids to camp um, at our camps in particular because they're seen by so many coaches. Yeah, right. There's, yeah, college coaches all over the country. They pay money to have film access of the entire camp. Yeah, I mean, I have coaches that I'm friends with that ask me all the time. Um, you know, where can they look at stuff or how do they get access to things or whatever as they try to, to kind of, and these are, we're talking about guys who are at FCS or, you know, not even G, G5 schools or whatever. Like they're looking, they're looking under rocks for kids. So that's how you get seen. Unfortunately for some kids, like if you live in, you know, the panhandle in, in Florida, like Cade, it's going to be a little bit harder to, to get that second evaluation. Um, right. Because he didn't do what, you know, the nearest camp to him was probably in Louisiana and, or Tampa or Lakeland. And that's a hike. You know, it's an eight hour drive, nine hour drive from where he lives to most of his camps. So he didn't camp. So it's going to be a little harder for him. He luckily, I got to see him camp. So that helped him a little bit. But, like, that's one of the downsides of this, but it's an imperfect business like anything else. Like, NFL draft, you know, how many teams miss on NFL draft decks? Like, it's unbelievable. Look at the Falcons. So, like, you know. Solid spot there, Kelly. Solid spot there. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, the Falcons are – the whole pretext for their, their GM is that he was the guy who was the architect of all the Patriots drafts and did such a great job. And – how many guys have they missed on? Holy crap. Like, um, but still enjoy the Falcons, but nevertheless, um, it's just funny because there's no exact major league baseball draft. Like all these things are teams constantly miss on kids. Like they miss on guys who are, you know, think of like, uh, Johnny football or, you know, like there's so many aspects to these things. It's hard. And that's why it makes, hard and why if you're good at it um, you tend to get the benefit of the doubt you know if you win a lot with guys you're going to get the benefit of the doubt and I think it's going to be an interesting uh, experiment to see how good Coach Collins and his staff are at evaluating uh, Patrick Suttis and his staff in that recruiting room the job they're doing they've done great work so far it'll be interesting to see what the proof looks like in two to three years as these kids start to matriculate through the system and get in positions to make 
you know, being the two deep and that sort of thing. Because really for the next two years, they're riding hard on their uh, Paul Johnson era players and then the transfers they were able to get in. So you can't take two toes really at Georgia Tech. So um, it'll be interesting to see what, and they're limited in terms of who they can even take as transfers. So it'll be interesting to see what this ends up looking like when we get to 2022, 2023, when you start seeing really the senior or upper level kids from these classes and how they do and how that kind of uh, shows, you know, the recruiting acumen and developmental skills of the staff. And, you know, ultimately Georgia Tech's always been best when they've been able to develop kids. Um, that was the strength of Coach O'Leary. It was the strength of Paul Johnson staffs with, got, you know, developing Shaq Mason or, you know, Gailey developing a lot of guys that were kind of under the radar and getting them into the NFL. And that's something that's fallen off the last few years for Georgia Tech. And that's something that these kids care about. You know, Josh Downs, the first thing he talks about to me is wanting to play in the NFL, like, and trying to find the place that gives him the best opportunity to do that. And that's what these kids care about. Let's be real. Like, they all want to play college football as a pathway to get to the NFL. Every single kid that we talk to thinks about that pretty much. There's a lot to think about plan B and take into consideration that they want to go, you know, to a school that will give them a chance to have a good education, all those other things. But ultimately at the end of the day, it is about getting that opportunity to get yourself to the next level or the highest level you can play football at, right? So that's going to be the big task for uh, Coach Collins and his staff now. They don't have a huge background to sell um, in terms of, you know, a limited time, two years as a head coach at Temple. So, but he got guys drafted there. Can he do the same with George Tech? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Any kind of final thoughts here as we head into this? weird July period, which uh, sees kids either committing or punting to the uh, the middle of their senior years. Yeah, there's going to be some, some punting. There's going to be some decommitting. There's going to be some business once the dead period ends, of course. Um, just seeing who they bring in in July for visits, I don't, I don't see them bringing in anybody who they aren't interested in. Like, I don't see anybody who's not a take visiting Georgia Tech on that weekend that it's not dead. Yeah, there's the one yeah, there's only one undead weekend in July and then camp opens for tech on uh July twenty ninth for fall camp and that's really difficult time to have visitors other than people coming to watch practice. So um right. there it will be a somewhat quiet uh recruiting period because really college high school coaches want the kids focused on getting ready for the high school season and getting ready for school. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And and like you said, you know, all they're doing is, is watching practice. So it's not a a quality visit, and that's a good way to get knocked down the pecking board, especially for a, a top recruit. You know, not having that individual attention, not having that individual time together with the coaches, and that, that's something that could play a factor. So I could see them limiting those for sure. And then I also see once the season starts, I don't see them bringing in official visitors during home game weekends. I, I mean, that. I think it's tough to do it unless you got to, and, you know, those, some of the Paul Johnson was vehemently against, and many other coaches I know are as well. 
really, unless it's a situation where there's an out-of-town kid that's never been on your campus that's about to decide, you really don't do that. And maybe they do at the Citadel weekend. Um, but high school coaches hate it just as much as the college coaches. So, it's, yeah. I mean, you're not going to – so, like, the last three – the real window where you would maybe see that is the last three home games, which are Virginia Tech, NC State, and then Georgia. And that whole window sucks for Georgia Tech because they're playing Virginia Tech on a Saturday, and then they turn around and play NC State on a Thursday. And so, with that short window, you really don't have time to, to be wasting with – with uh, recruiting during that time because they're going to have to be hyper-focused with a quick turnaround to play an ACC um, uh, game that quickly after playing Virginia Tech. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting season for Georgia Tech and it'll be an interesting uh, thing to watch how they unfold and how they do all this stuff because it's constantly changing all the time. And um, I think that uh, basically when you look at you know, Coach Collins, what his plans are. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what what he does, how his staff evolves. They've kind of changed things on the fly as they've gone along already, and I expect more adjustments to be made. You know, it'll be interesting to see. One of the things you and I have both talked about too that's going to be really interesting is uh, do they pay a price for bringing all those kids in early for official visits in in, in May and early June? You know. Are they able to hold on to the committed kids that they visited? Are they going to run low on visits on the back end? That'll be interesting. Yeah, I think that's another reason why you see them kind of be selective going forward. Yeah, so. All right, well, that wraps it up for uh, this edition of the Jackets Online podcast. Uh, appreciate Russell putting up with a couple of my diatribes, and um, we'll be back uh, more often than not. So. Uh, Thank you.